Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. A big welcome to season six, where we continue to explore coaching, learning and development. As usual, my guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. I'll now hand over to them to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is James Clark. Uh, I run my own coaching company involved in lots of different areas of the game, uh, all the way through from under 60s tag rugby all the way to senior men's and women's. Uh, hi, I'm Jack Rolf. Uh, I'm founder of the Coaching Lab. I love coffee, um, love coaching and being pretty cool to travel the world in, in recent years and seen a few cool places and currently an Englishman abroad in Perth, Western Australia. Jack, just before we get into it, how, how tough was that during the Ashes, mate? Like, pretty, pretty brutal? Uh, no, I kind of tried to convince myself I was part Australian, um, which the locals didn't really let me convince, convince them. But, um, you know, it was pretty good. The coverage was great. And, uh, yeah, had a great summer. I just kept a low profile, really. <laughs> nice. I love it. Um, gents, absolute pleasure to have you both on. Uh, really, really excited for where today's conversation goes. Uh, just a reminder that all the links to the content that guys talk about and other interesting content uh, are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. So, uh, Clarky, we're coming to you first. What are you going to chat to us about? So I've gone a little bit left field in my choice. I'm going to choose about one of my favourite films, Chasing Mavericks. Um, I just love the film, uh, just around the relationship between between sort of person and mentor and that holistic approach to, to development. I just think it, it sets out really, really nicely for me. Hey, give us give us a kind of anyone that's not seen it, give us a brief synopsis you know, without giving away the story, like what's what what happens. Yeah, I don't want to drop any spoilers. Um, so basically the story follows a boy called Jay Moriarty um, and his relationship between he, a mentor, or a developed mentor that he finds um, in, his, in his local area called Frosty, uh, who's a very experienced surfer. And it's basically the, the process of him learning to surf uh, a giant wave called, a giant wave area called Mavericks in the El Nino um storm nice and and why why did it resonate what what about the mentor kind of relationship well firstly like what's what's a mentor to you why why is this guy a mentor why is he not just a a learned other um just an experienced guy that's kind of helping a kid out why why do you see him as a mentor i think i just like i like the relationship where it's more of a guide rather than someone that's just giving information it's 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 more of a direction and sort of just giving some shape to that learning. Um, and it's definitely very holistic rather than just, right, I'm going to make you the best surfer you possibly can be. It's about sort of trying to support him as a young man, trying to find his place in the world, sort of dealing with the difficulties that he's finding with his peer group and his family and, and everything like that. And just, just trying to support him on his journey. Jack, have you seen the film? Just, just double checking. No, I'm pretty rubbish at films, so I'm dreadful. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it is an absolutely magic film, and and yeah, I, Clark, I think you're right. I think that's that's the interesting bit for me of how it's not, it's not just about 
coaching him to be a better surfer. As you say, like he's got challenges with his relationship with his mum. He's got a dad that's not there. Like I'm just giving away the story here, but you know, there's 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 lots going on, and I guess maybe that's that's the mentorship piece. And I think it's it's um, uh, it's uh, Gerald Butler's wife in the film says, "Sons come in all shapes and sizes," don't, doesn't she? And and I, that's that's a, like a really powerful moment, isn't it? That actually, who who are we looking up to as people that that have those figures in our life? And whether you've got parents or not, like, as you say, it, it, it's not just a case of you've only ever got one mum and dad, like there will be lots of people that kind of take on those roles. So how, what are your guys' experiences of that? Have you had similar, different, how does that kind of look for you in, I guess, maybe your coaching journey or, or even your kind of playing, playing journeys? Yeah, I was just thinking there of like, do you find a mentor or does the mentor find you? Um, I find it interesting that a lot of coach education programs and they put you with a mentor, but you know, what's the consideration process of why that mentor is right for you um, and two way sort of relationship. And I probably look back at some of my mentors. I haven't gone out of my way to find those mentors. You know, I haven't gone searching for them. They've probably just been cornerstones and, you know, not roadblocks, but hurdles along the way that they've just been there at the corner and they've just helped me sort of thing. And I, it's probably been quite a natural organic experience and you know I don't know what it'd be like if I went searching for a role model um, or a mentor about what characteristics they would be but yeah they're just that interesting topic of do you search for a mentor or does the mentor find you? I think it's I think it's really interesting so I mean through my sort of coaching journey I wouldn't necessarily say I've had lots of like official mentors that have like given me purpose and direction to what I'm doing I think it's just what I found really, really beneficial is just lots of conversations with just some really interesting people. Um, like Russell Earnshaw. I remember sort of seeing Rusty and Fletch for the first time in an England under 18s camp. I think it was like maybe six weeks I did my level two. And it was just like watching fire for the first time. It was incredible. Um, that sort of like high end scale, but again, like even friends. So a local coach to me, Sam Colmer, like the conversations that we have, a uh, guy called Dan Brockhurst down in Guildford, like they would all be mentors to me. And I'm sure they'd say the same, same thing about me. It's just that sharing and I guess sort of that group development, if you like. Um, that's probably where the, the most gold gold or the most value has been added for me in that sort of mentor learning guide, like guide place. Do, do you think we do the classic with coaching and, and mentoring and and I guess like the sports space where, we have to have everything that's really neat and tidy and we have to have definitions and boxes. And do you know what I mean? The, the fact I asked you straight away what, what mentoring is, it, it leads that conversation that there is a definitive. Do you know what I mean? And I just wonder if, do, do we have this habit of what is coaching? What is leadership? What is teaching? What is mentoring? Like we, we're constantly almost on the search for definitions and, and actually is the reality just way more messy than that? I guess I guess a mentor is actually probably just a pretty good friend or a critical friend in a way. And um, yeah, I've probably got a few critical friends that I'm pretty pretty grateful for. They'll drop me a WhatsApp message when I probably shouldn't have posted something I, I should have or, you know, that sort of stuff that they're not always my mentor full-time, 24-7, but they're just that critical friend. And yeah, mentor is a fancy word for a friend, ultimately for me. I think also on the flip side of that, like I've had... I've had sort of relationships with people that I wouldn't necessarily agree with their coaching philosophy or we wouldn't have that alignment 
around but actually I've had incredible sort of learning moments with people that I'm like actually I respect them as a person I wouldn't necessarily say that I think we'd make a good coaching team together or the but I think there's there's value in everything right like I mean even I mean I watched a film it's a bit of an emotional tearjerker and I think if it resonates with you then it's good learning you kind of beat me to my question a little bit there, Clarky. Like, do, do you think there's value in, in everybody, even in the people that maybe we don't resonate with or don't even like? Like, let's not, let's not pretend we're all friends. Like, there are, there are some people we will encounter in environments where they're just very different from us or they're too similar to us and we just don't get on. Like, we're not, not everyone is friends with everyone and that's absolutely fine. And I, maybe we, it, it all feels like it needs to be pink and fluffy all the time but actually I don't I don't think conflict is necessarily a bad thing as long as it's not having a damaging effect on other people around you but actually is that something you guys would have searched out or do go looking for or do you just kind of as a, the crit the you know I, I guess the criticism is we then all just live in echo chambers so how like how do you guys go about making sure you're not in an echo chamber and critical friends are good but are they playing the role deliberately or are they naturally in a different position to you so they critique what you do or are they just kind of putting on a mask and doing that for you, I guess? Either or jump in. I think, I think for me, like, I'm, I, I would be quite lucky with, with my sort of my coaching friend group and the people that I can sort of have, have talks to um, where they can play almost that 10th man role going, okay, well, we all agree, but actually why are we agreeing on this? And we can have some open discussions. I think, I think it's just, it's just being open and in the moment, like I've, as I've sort of gone through my coaching journey. So I was almost like a very militant games-based coach. Everything had to be through games. Um, everything had to be sort of joué open. And I've probably sort of come comfort full circle where actually I can see value in block practice. Um, would I necessarily be running a two hour session with an Auckland grid? Probably not, but I think it, it's just trying to see value in everything that you do and everyone. So a, a very good friend of mine said, everyone is a good person with good intentions. It's just a point of perspective. And I think once you, once you get that in where, like there's not many people that wake up in the morning and just go, you know what? I just want to ruin 20, 10 year olds day by coaching them really poorly. Um, so if you can come from that point of view, you can go, oh, okay, so what are they, what are they trying to achieve? And actually trying to understand the person a lot more, whether you agree with the methodology or not is, is almost irrelevant. It's trying to see, oh, okay, well, I, I like, I like the dynamic, like the dynamics of an Auckland grid. I like the passing. How can I take, take that stuff and apply it to what I'm doing I think I think yeah I, I think a lot of people are just like no it's too organized or it's it's this or it's that I'm just I'm going to ignore it and I think there's value in everything that you do right and also it really depends on the player in front of you like some sometimes they just need a bit of confidence and it's a it's again a, a, another quote from a friend of mine like it's it's evolution rather than revolution. Like you're not going to come in and ch drastically change people. You've got to take them on that journey too. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you're never too far away from critics, ultimately. Um, <laughs> if you, I, I probably coach through, I wrote down two things, I probably coach through choice and coach through questions quite a lot. 
so naturally you you've opening yourself up for uh, a bit of bit of back chat and a few comments which you know give and take is totally fine um but yeah i don't think you've got to be close to it. i think you've got to be fairly open to it um as you go forward you know a lot of my stuff is probably in a grassroots setting at times and that's probably where people are most honest uh, not so much in a high performance world where no one wants to lose their job but um you know when you're an accountant during the day and you're coaching your little boys team on a Wednesday night they're probably quite honest with what they're feeling and what they think because they're short of time they're doing it for free um, they've got 50 odd kids running around with two coaches they're going to be fairly critical and quite honest with with what they say so I, as much as I love spending time in high performance environments actually the grassroots stuff is sometimes the most honest and most brutal space in the world. Jack, do you do you see that in sort of like that high high performance environment where 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 they're trying to be vulnerable, or, or is it just sort of almost playing lip service to it, and everyone's everyone's just being a bit like a bit nice, bit nice around it, or everyone's just sort of saying what they think everyone wants to hear? Uh, depends where you go, I guess. Um, I went to the West Coast Eagles just before Christmas, so the, the AFL team. Um, the first thing you walk in and the guy said, we're the Manchester United of, of AFL, uh, which gives you a bit of a statement straight away about who they are and, and what they are. And then he got talking and he opened up a little bit and um, he said, we want coaches to work as hard as, or we want players to work as hard as the coaches in presentation. So my question was, how do you get 45 players engaged in a team meeting and how do coaches then engage with players? And he said, we set coaches the challenge of getting the players to be as engaged or as organised. Um, as the coach and then the other element was um, they have a review at the end of every single day so the football manager pairs pairs coaches up and puts them in small groups and they would then peer review their buddy session ultimately um, so that might be just video sitting at the back of a meeting and videoing it and then putting it on the big screen in front of all the staff and saying I think you should have said this or said that um, or coming out of a session at the end the players have all gone home and they sit for, they, don't, they, have, they say 15 minutes max because those things could easily go on for two, three hours. But they say 15 minutes and it's over a coffee, it's pretty chilled. Um, but this is, you know, your feedback window about what happens. So you, you talked about the community kind of, I guess, grassroots type level being, being maybe the most honest and the most brutal. And is there a danger there or a massive challenge with, as you said, that the people that operate at that level are volunteers, they probably love what they do, or they've kind of been like corralled into it. So they're just kind of there because they need to be. Um, how do we not take that personally? How, how do you not take that feedback on board and, and feel like it's an attack on you as a person rather than the role you're undertaking or, or the, you know, the environment or that type of stuff? Because, I think that there is a big danger there with we all we all love what we do right we're probably very very fortunate to to have our careers or our hobbies and I've I've from personal experience you know and I've kind of worked through this I would definitely at that point where everything I did was coaching and everything I did was rugby and so you just become so absorbed and and I was probably quite lucky maybe arrogant enough that I didn't let the criticism be become personal but I, I do worry for some people when it is it is their life actually how like have you got top tips for how people maybe go about not not taking that on or cr creating maybe some separation so it's not it's not kind of damaging them yeah, yeah i guess um naturally people are going to see it as, as probably quite arrogant when you give them a new idea and you say 
I think you should maybe consider this new approach. Um, so I guess before you're going to go and put it in, you're going to ask, well, why am I going to do it? And how am I going to go and do that? Um, and I'd say connection before correction. You know, so you're not going to go and correct something if you haven't got a connection with somebody. Um, you know, so I would often try and spend as much time as possible with an individual coach away from the kids uh, and their active coaching and actually just pick up a conversation maybe in the, on the phone or drop feed some articles into them um, and intentionally drop articles that are exactly what you think and maybe a little bit against what, what they think because it gets them to reflect. And then you might say, just drop me a message about your reflections in the, in the coming days. So I don't think a lot of it has to be done there and then. I actually think a lot of it is drop fed around. And as you said there, just don't take it personally. I think when I was probably a bit younger, I um, took everything quite personally. I was always a little bit pissed off when someone said something to me. But now you kind of know why you're doing it. And ultimately, I think James said it earlier, if you have the best intentions, which is ultimately to support the individual and give the best environment to the players, you can't ask anymore. Um, and coaching, well, that's life, isn't it? It's coaching. Lucky, do you think it's a bit of an impossible job? Like, is, is Are people going to stand there, parents, fans, whoever's on the touchline, and always think they can do a better job? Like, what, what's your experience of managing those kind of environments? Is is that just something coaches have to, to learn to deal with? Or, or can we kind of maybe put some stuff in place to, to mitigate that? Is that to me? Sorry, or is that to Jan? Oh uh, no, yeah, yeah. Clarky, jump in first. Either, either or. Yeah, I think like again, sort of coaching in different environments. I think it's, I think it's difficult, especially when like that philosophy doesn't align or people aren't seeing instant success. So generally, people would be looking at that win-loss ratio all through the age group and say, well, if they're not winning, they're not successful. Like for me, it's probably a two twofold thing. Where are we? Actually, are we? helping people be aware of what we're actually trying to achieve so i know a lot of people that would do some really good stuff parents wouldn't wouldn't have that level of awareness of going oh yeah actually i now understand that they're trying to create this sort of core values of rugby in the sessions or oh, i didn't realize actually these were the sort of success points that they're aiming for and i'm just looking at whether my son's scored 50 tries or not in a game um I think the the other thing is is trying to get people involved with that. So, like, yes, I would have a reasonably strong view on what sessions look like and what I think good looks like, but also trying to involve people with that. So, can we can we give ownership to to parents groups? So, like, I remember in sessions just walking around giving parents clickers, involving them. Can you look at this for me? What are you thinking about this? Having conversations at DPP with parents just stood there watching. Like, what are you seeing? Uh, well, they've been standing around for a while. Okay, well, if we're doing whiteboard or an introduction or it's a technical session, that's probably what we're going to be looking for. But, yeah, trying to breed awareness and that sort of connection and ownership of around what we're doing. I think like I've, I've found a lot of success, not success all the time, and you definitely get your outliers, but, but yeah. Get the players to, um, to give the answers. I always think it's interesting when coach or a set individual hears an answer from a player I definitely think it gets them to, uh, to maybe reflect on their interactions and their behaviours in a way of you know if you ask the players what can your coach do to help you and the players say oh, I'll probably talk less or you know ask more questions or play more games mm -hmm. definitely going to be more powerful than you know someone rocking up and saying 
you know, come on, James, you need to stop play, not stop doing this and start playing more games and, you know, shut up and start doing this. But whereas if it's coming from the players and you've got to be open to that and asking the players and don't expect a straight answer back. You know, it might be that you have a big whiteboard at the end of a session where they do go and write down their reflections or that old school way of, you know, putting a post-it note into a box and sharing some ideas and feedback, you know, just but making that link as accessible as possible. Do you think, oh, it's a little, this is a really leading question. I probably need a better question. Do you think there is any excuse not to be seeking player feedback now? I'm, I'm just kind of running through my head, as you say, whiteboards in terms of technology, Google forms, all this type of stuff. But I, I, I would hear of a lot of high performance environments as, as well as community environments where people just aren't asking for it. And I can never, I can never really understand why. Is, is it just a fear of being exposed? But that kind of seems counterintuitive because if, if your job's on the line or if you're you know, nervous or you're in a position where you feel like you have to win, then surely the best way to get to that would be to understand what the players do know and don't know and want to get from you and all of the things that feedback can entail. And it just seems really, really counterintuitive. So, yeah, as I say, a very leading question, but would be interested to know both your guys' thoughts. Um, you can ask feedback. doesn't mean you have to take it, I guess. Um, you know, it can be seen that you're a, you've been a really collaborative coach and you're asking players loads of questions. But, you know, if you don't do anything with it behind closed doors, you know, that's a different situation, isn't it? But I definitely think you've got to be seen to be doing it um, and then to have some impact and, you know, measuring that again. Yeah, I think for me, like, again, it depends of where you are and where they are. So I think it can be quite damaging if you're asking for feedback and they're giving you stuff that you definitely don't want to hear and then you don't do it. I think you, you can really, really sort of ruin that rapport straight away, especially coming in. Um, I definitely think you should should be asking for sort of some sort of feedback in your session because at the end of the day, they're the people receiving this coaching or this experience of you. So right, trying to understand that, but the, the level of feedback that you're going to go into, I, I would probably challenge and say, like, how aware are the players? Like, are they aware of what, what they actually need or is it just a want thing? Can we can we build that relationship? And Jack, you were saying this before, like it's just building rapport first, like having that level basic understanding. So we're all singing from the same hymn sheet. And then I think that's where the real vein of feedback comes in, where we're all understanding where we're trying to aim for, what success looks like in our environment and culture and what it looks like on the field. And that's that's when it becomes really powerful to get that feedback in and make real change rather than just sort of paying lip service and going, how did that make you feel, guys? Oh, awesome. Yeah, perfect. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. And it's almost how do you take that beyond, as you say, the, the element of lip service, but also how do you get over being surprised at where they're at? You So you, you get that, whether it's a one-to-one, -one, whether it's a, a Google form, whatever it might be, plenty of different ways to do it. But actually going, oh, shit, like, I, that's not where I thought that player was. They, I thought they knew way more than that or they were more confident than that. And, yeah, as a, maybe that's just the bridging gap to you're never going to be them. You're never going to experience everything that they think and experience. But can we get closer? You'd hope so. Like, is that just not a huge part of the role that, that we should be seeking 
all of the time because you'd hope the more common it becomes the more common it becomes and and then it's just you, you know you've built some momentum with it and, it and it's just an ongoing thing but it's again maybe it's because we put it in a box and we have to label it and we have to kind of view it in certain ways as coaches that it, it becomes a bit of a mechanism and it's not it's maybe not as fluid as it could be I'm not sure it just seems it seems to be one of these things that with coaches are just a little bit reticent to do in any sort of formal capacity and I don't know whether that's a number of factors but it is insecurity and or arrogance or, or those kind of traits of the coach behind some of that or is it genuinely just about we, they don't know how to do it I also think um, too often the feedback is used in the wrong way um, I too often believe that the feedback is probably put there to get the coach sacked um, or to put the coach in a position where, where if the players say this, the players are always right. And I'm not too sure where I stand on that. And I probably need more experience to answer that question fully. But, you know, part of me would say that some of that feedback is often being used against the coach rather than for the coach. Because it's an easy win for a committee or a board or the players to throw loads of loads of comments at a coach and then not actually step up and support those comments or say anything. So, yeah, I'm not too sure where it's done. It's not really a question, but it's just a, a response and a reflection, I guess, of I'm not too sure sometimes how that feedback's being used. I think, mate, it's such a good point. Like, I remember I was working with a with a coach quite new, was sort of lost his way a little bit. Like, it was, it was probably... He was the head coach, sort of just came in because there was no one else there, wasn't getting a massive, massive amount of support from club or from the team. And it's like you don't know what you don't know. Like I think it's so it's so hard where again people take it personally. Like if you're trying to help and they're seeing it's not good automatically, well, he's not a good coach. Well, I'm sure if you ask some people that I've coached in the past, they'd be saying the same thing about me. It's just there's so many variables to it. And again, like it's coming down to that, like everyone's a good person with good intentions. It's just, they don't know what they don't know. So it's trying to support that. And again, it, I think organizations that do it really, really well, like they sort of, they sort of get it. They get people and it's trying to get someone up to the standard rather than just measuring them by the standard, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Like it, it's such a difficult thing. And again, it's such a personal thing as well. Um, like I know so many coaches put so much into it and the players again it can be a lot of their identity so when you're having that sort of butting of heads it, it can be quite visceral and quite raw so how can we how can we support that decision making and again like I'd go back to awareness and trying to trying to get that sort of almost level playing field where we have just a better understanding of where we are as a collective team coaching staff players organization and sort of trying to come from there rather than sort of not understanding people not understanding where the coach is not understanding where the players are and and having these sort of conflicts and these issues do you think that's the real value of a mentor if you find someone that's maybe been through that type of stuff before because maybe and that's maybe a more traditional model of mentoring you know you're it's it's somebody that's a bit older somebody that's that's basically been on a similar journey to you in in similar environments do is that is that the real value in, in that conversation when it becomes a little bit tricky? Or do we think that we just need to be using them all of the time rather than suddenly go, shit, I'm, I'm in a little bit of trouble here. I need someone to help me. Or, or is it absolutely fine either way? 
I think for me, sort of that that almost lighthouse mentor where like it's all a bit foggy, we're in we're in the weeds and we just need that sort of shining light just to help us through it. I think it can be really, really helpful. Um, I think for me, a really good mentor or good sort of critical friend would probably be having having conversations before <laughs> before we get into the fog. Um, and we have we have an understanding and generally it's more of a more of a preemptive are we aware of it rather than while this is happening show me the way out of the hole um but again like i think i think there's value in both like i've definitely been in environments where like i've made made big mistakes and a lot of pain and a lot of emotional sort of upset around that just because actually i could have done better um having honest reflections with myself i've been able to sort of reflect and learn and and have really key learning moments but yeah you're definitely definitely sort of i definitely think it'd been less painful having someone to go or have have you thought about this actually in a different way mate like i wouldn't i wouldn't be going all guns blazing but again it's all it's all part of that learning process right we're going jack we're gonna jump in no no all good absolutely nice and and i'm just thinking clucky when you were talking then ultimately it's just somebody to hold up the mirror isn't it and that's I think that's that's maybe the real skill in their conversations with you know like you don't from my experience you don't want someone that's just going to sit you down and go this is what I did I definitely think there's a there's a far deeper element to a lot of this around actually how are they how are they getting you to uh, to find your your blind spots almost it's, it's like the hairdresser isn't it when you've been you've been to the they they could just not hold up the mirror and have done a terrible job at the back and actually, you, you just need somebody to go, yeah, what, was, what does that look like behind you? Because I just think, I was talking to um, Helen Weston, hockey coach, last night for like two hours, not recorded, just a brilliant, brilliant conversation. And, and this is just some of the stuff we got into that may, maybe coaching is just too complicated. Thir- 30 people and a coach all trying to do similar things and different things and I just like if you ever wrote that down and said actually this is what the job entails like no one would go anywhere near it would they and then when we say well for most of this you're either going to be unpaid and doing it in your spare time for for free or you're going to be paid probably really poorly for how much time you invest in this it just I, I don't know I just I just think it's absolutely mad what we put ourselves through but then it's also probably the most rewarding job we could ever find. And I, I, I don't know where to land somewhere in between that, but it just seems this, this crazy, crazy space. And maybe lockdown was really good for that. Maybe we've, we've all got to a, a slightly better place where those networks have increased and, you know, we find uh, some new mentors and that sort of stuff. But then I also think actually as that maybe died off, now the world has returned to normal, you know, just, yeah, just a really interesting space in which we operate and, and actually the challenges that throws up it's not really a question in there but more of a ramble no like Do it for the love right yeah <laughs> but we have to like what else what else are we getting from that like do you know what i mean and i i just uh, yeah how does that apply in other walks of life do people just not care and walk away when it's crap or does that is that half the problem with where we are as a society i don't know go on clarky i think mate so like i mean for me personally like i like lockdowns were really really tough um I was probably coming into lockdown I was at, at one of my lowest points coaching wise where I was in in environments that 
that I wasn't happy in. I didn't really have any control over that either. Um, and definitely sort of lost my way, especially sort of rugby wise where I'd stopped playing. I just wasn't enjoying the experience. And that first lockdown just gave me that space to really reflect. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a long process and probably, probably only really coming out of it in the last sort of two months. But I think especially as, as a coach, you don't, you don't have time to, to really reflect deeply on where we're going. It's almost, you get caught in a current. I, I mean, again, trying to make it your job, I've definitely found difficult and that sort of almost conflict between, okay, I sort of need to need to be paid for this and need to, I want a good lifestyle from that, but also like I want, I want to add real value and I don't just want to do it for money. Like I've never really been massively money motivated. I've always wanted to sort of find, find where I'm happiest and like throw imposter syndrome into that and just going, Oh, actually like I'm just not that good. I'm just a lad, lad from Oxford who has fallen, fallen on his feet more times than not. And I've sort of found myself in these situations. It's, it's really difficult for coaches. And I think the lack of lack of pathway almost, or the lack of direction, this is where sort of that mentor or critical friend relationship really comes in. And I mean, again, I, I definitely wouldn't be in the sport and I definitely wouldn't be coaching full-time if it wasn't for some of these key, key people in my life that, that did believe me. And when I was, when I quit my job and, was doing rugby tots and like coaching two and a half year olds and thinking this is the start of the journey. Like a lot of people just like, mate, you're just stupid. Like, what are you doing? And I think it'd have been really, really easy to walk away because the challenges are hard. Like if you can't see a way through, if, if it just seems a bit hopeless, of course, like, like why would you carry on? It's just trying to find those inroads and, and that, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation to just carry on and know know that there is value in what you're doing yeah I was just going to say um like I try not to define myself as a coach you know I'm, I'm Jack I'm not coach Jack I'm just Jack sort of thing and you know small things like I try and have interest outside of coaching um I spent time with um anybody work by me saying Mark Hager and um the former Australian player turned England coach for the women uh, has just stepped down and I said, oh, you know, what's some advice that you've got? Um, and he said, make sure you've got an interest outside of coaching, otherwise it'll kill you. Um, from the point of view that you've just got to get an escape. Uh, his escapes, you know, going fishing, deep sea fishing with, you know, his mates and having a, having a drink, but whatever it might be, just having that escape. And yeah, I try really hard not to define myself as a coach. Um, and if if something has got money attached to it and I don't want to do it, I'm not going to do it. You know, if it's not a hell yes, I'm 100% in on that. You know, why am I going to go and do something? And, and probably a couple of mantras that I yeah I live by. I think that's I think that's really interesting. Like when we talk about identity, like so I I've got a couple of couple of players, young players that sort of aspirationally sort of looking for and. And just weren't having the greatest of the time. And we definitely talk like as as a coach to a player, like I'm definitely talking about you're not a rugby player. You are a person that plays rugby, and that's not your identity. Like, I mean, one lad was getting really caught up and he would have a terrible week in training in school, 
at home if he'd lost that match of the weekend. Like if he felt and he would just be living that, living and breathing that. And I think it can be a really positive thing when we're really excited and we're really engaged in something, but also having that almost disconnect going, like it doesn't define you as a person, like being a rugby player, being a rugby coach, it's a brilliant thing and it's a role that we play. And I think it, it adds value to a lot of the stuff that we do outside of, outside of that bubble. But like if you start getting caught up in, in like measuring, measuring success, especially by, by that role, I think it's so dangerous. Jack, I, I have interest. How have you found that kind of network and, and that opportunity and that challenge when you've, when you've kind of moved countries and stuff like what, what have, or how have you gone about establishing yourself within those environments when you've arrived? Uh, I guess I've probably had a presence before I arrived because I'm grateful to have a business that's across 38 countries in the world in the coaching lab. So, you know, I rock up to the most isolated city in the world in Perth and uh, there's coaches using our challenge cards and, you know, they're getting in contact with me rather than me getting in contact with them. So that's kind of a, I guess I had a presence before. Um, and I wrote down a few things before I came to Australia in a little blue book. Uh, and it was one to smile. Uh, one was to think before I speak um, and one was just to enjoy every minute um, you know those three things have, I've tried and I hope have stayed with me since I arrived that just smile and wave that kind of uh, saying of just get your way through it and just think before you speak you know there's some really good people here and some people with great knowledge and there's some people with different thoughts and things you know coming from Europe and then coming here you know everyone thinks they're a professional soccer club here when they train on a grassroots Sunday morning and you know I go there and think you know this is definitely not Arsenal or the England football team or you know this is a real different level of understanding about your beliefs and their beliefs and it's just being grateful and just taking time to understand well, where they're coming from and maybe where they need some support and look I've learned loads and I came to learn that's the number one thing you know I didn't come to impart my knowledge on them they don't need it you know I came to learn and drink loads of great coffee and get a nice suntan. I love that. I think that's brilliant advice. Absolutely brilliant. Superb. Um, I'm going to pause this one there because I'm, I'm conscious like identity is one of my favourite topics and I could definitely just talk about that for hours. So um, yeah, and I don't like to do this, but I am, I am conscious you guys have got, you know, day jobs and stuff. So um, Jack, we will shift over to you. Uh, a couple of different ones to talk about, I guess, but uh, yeah, mate, fire away. Cool. Um, so I'm going to go for Cricket Australia at the moment um, for the Justin Langer um, scenario and situation, I guess, probably in the last five days. And I don't know what, it's, what the coverage has been like, apart from the English wanting him as a head coach. Um, but the you've just won 4-0 in the Ashes. They've ranked number one test team in the world. Um, he's come in and he's effectively changed the culture of, of cheating. Um, after the sandpaper gate and uh, quite a toxic culture. If anyone watched the test, probably had a pretty good idea about what sort of character he was as an individual. Um, and I should probably say I have a bit of a bias because he's a West Australian and I'm in West Australia and know a few people that know him pretty well and we've shared a few stories. So I, I guess I probably have a natural bias towards where I'm coming from here. But he was offered a six-month contract rather than a, a three or two, three-year deal after winning the Ashes. And I must say, the whole of the country has probably gone up in arms. Um, talking about player power taking over, the players came out and said, 
is too intense. Uh, we want more of a collaborative approach. Uh, we want a different coaching style going forward. And naturally, those kind of older cricketers come out and they say, you know, the baggy green is about X, Y, Z, and, you know, it's this and it's that. And you come in and you're saying you want collaboration and they're saying, well, you know, to be the world's best, you need this, you need this. Uh, and I've got a, an, um, a sentence here from Langer's kind of resignation letter. And he said, my life has been built on values of honesty, respect, trust, truth, and performance. And if that comes across as too intense at times, I apologize. Um, so I think he's, and he openly speaks that he coaches with values. Um, and when he went in that he wanted to make Australia proud, or Australia cricket proud of, again after that sandpaper gate um, and I just wrote down a few reflections like well what do you measure you know the guy's just got some of the best players in the world you know Marcus Marnus Lavashane world number one batsman in test cricket they've won the Ashes 4-0 um, they've won the T20 World Cup for the first time ever or not ever but recent, in recent years when no one ever thought they were going to win it um, they've had the, the sexting scandal with Tim Payne, they've had all this sort of stuff going on, and from the outside looking in, it looks a really successful time, and then it comes out, well, actually, well, what are you measuring? And if you're measuring success, it's not an indicator that the coach is going to continue going on. And the other question I had down was, um, are players always right? Because I think this scenario probably suggests the players have won. Um, and another quote here I had down from, from Langer was, if you preach excellence but walk mediocrity, you're nothing but a common liar. Um, and anyone that knows him or has seen him, has had any interactions with Langer, and he's probably a pretty intense guy, but goes with the right intentions because he wants to make Australia proud. And Test Cricket and Cricket Australia is, is him, basically. That's his identity. So, yeah, just a few comments. I'm curious as to what the coverage has been like. If it's been as intense and as brutal as it has been you know, over here. I would have to say it's, I mean, I follow a few cricket things on Twitter and I've seen bits. I've not seen anything on it in national press or anything like that. It's it's almost a non, a non-story, which is interesting. I think may, maybe overshadowed by the fact that the ECB have got their own issues and <laughs> maybe they need to find some solutions to those before that. But I, I mean, I think you asked some brilliant questions there and, the, the the big one for me are the players always right like yeah how, how do we even go about answering that in a in an environment and I guess maybe cricket is slightly different in as much as rep teams are normally together for a very small period of time aren't they like take rugby take football you're in for a camp you train you prep for a game you play maybe for a couple of weeks and then you leave again and then selection just keeps kind of coming back I guess cricket is almost that that slight anomaly that's almost a little bit like a a, a club team in itself that it's a pretty regular selection and they're together for months months at a time so actually uh, does does that change the dynamic does that mean the players are more important can you do, do you have to keep them on side more does it become a case of you know if yeah it, can I be really intense for a two-week camp probably because they're all going to go back to their clubs and and then you know, not not worry about it until the next time in their camp. If if we're touring for three months, like what what's the burnout rate? And I mean, cricket's notorious for that anyway, isn't it? In terms of like the mental health challenges and and the stuff that that they face as as international and like world class athletes. So yeah, I mean, I'll just throw that straight back at you guys. Like yeah, count is it one or the other, or is it just finding a harmonious balance 
to put ourselves in the best best place possible. Go on, Clarky. So I think, like, I mean, I sort of said before, like, I really do live by this sort of evolution rather than revolution. You've got to, you've got to meet the players where they are. Like, I think it's it's good to have that sort of progression and what what good looks like and and bringing in those values. But if you think like, so take my coaching journey, for example, I've been coaching full time for six years. I'm a very different coach to what I started with six years ago because I've been on that journey. Like you're walking into an environment where those players haven't been that, they haven't had those experiences. So they, why would they have the same views as you? I think, again, it's very difficult. You're talking about the international stage where, where you have to get them to perform to a level. But 100%, I think if you have a look at, I guess I'd think about Eddie Jones coming in after Stuart Lancaster, like definitely was being quite abrasive with a few, but he de- was meeting people where they were and then starting to set gradual standards. And again, we talk about that process of it. Um, I think potentially you come into an environment where it's too much of a stretch, where you just cannot regress enough to either meet the player or if you're coming in you can't quite get on the level but I'd definitely be aware of of coaches coming in with this this is how I play the game like you see it a lot in football where managers just come in they change everything they get rid of staff they get rid of players and they bring you new stuff in and I'm like how how good is that for environment and culture for me it's a bit chicken and egg um, in a way of does the player have to fit the coach or does the coach have to fit the player mm. so ultimately Justin Langer is the head coach so he has a board of selectors to help him decide what players he has in but is it actually the coaches or the players should fit JL's you know excellent standards and if you want to be world number one you've got to behave and act like this and yes there might be intense at times but this is what the journey we want to go on to and, and be so for me, it's probably a bit chicken and egg. You know, which one does it come? Is it the coach that's got to bow down to the players or the players that have got to bow down to the coach? I wonder if that's where you just find your breaking point, isn't it? Because a lot of stuff is probably a concession on behalf of the coach from perfection, right? Like that's that's something we would always maybe kind of be looking for as coaches. And that's not to, to say that it isn't necessarily achievable, but that's kind of the goal, isn't it? Right. We, we want to be pushing people towards being better and, and perfection is at the, the, the far end of that scale. So actually, well, every, every step, as, as you said, Clarky, every regression is effectively a concession to a group of players or an individual to say, well, actually this, this may work. This may not work. I'm, I'm from where I think our standards should be. We're okay to let you not do this, because I, and how you then go about building that, taking them with you, growing that. Are are you, are you starting again? It's a little bit of a paradox. Are you starting at one hundred percent, and then dropping back to meet them where they are, or do you all actually start at zero percent, and then grow it incrementally? And and I guess you could take both positions, and both positions are probably absolutely fine. And you could probably start somewhere in the middle, and and maybe you could do all of them at the same time. But it, it just seems that that's that's a challenge some coaches just can't can't overcome I think for me like we we talk I would be talking a lot about outcomes like what what are we trying to achieve here so again with a club that I'm working for at the minute they're not looking for high performance 
players. They're not. It's just about having that connection to a community club, outreaching and having positive, uh, positive outcomes within the community. So, uh, would I be pushing pushing the people that I'm coaching as hard as I possibly can to be better athletes? No, um, I definitely could be doing more. And again, I'd probably be sort of thinking, well. Yeah, am I happy with some of the behaviours? Probably not. But again, it's outcome based. And I think my personal sort of coaching view is that you're there to facilitate for for the organisation and for the for the people in front of you. So <clears throat> I guess you shouldn't really be invited into that environment if the organisation's going, well, this is what Clarkie's about, this is what he's looking at. Like, why is he in this environment? Because if we want high performance and bee stings and like block practice, Clark, he's not going to be our man. Like, I think it's, you almost find that sort of self-selection. I think the challenges come when, yeah, like when the outcomes aren't aligned. Like if if you're just looking for for a social team, Langer's not going to be a guy to come in and <laughs> and facilitate that sort of social let's have a few beers before the game guys let's make sure it's all relaxed but if you want high performance and you want people to be performing the best i think you're definitely going to be looking towards that that more end of that scale the grass is not always green on the other side is it <laughs> you know um you know a cliche saying but it's not always green on the other side no players are saying we want this we want that but suddenly if they drop to number three in the world and you know, they get smashed 4 0 in the ashes. You know, it's probably going to look pretty good on, on JL. How much do you think the um, the test has an impact on the the impact of this story? So, had had that Amazon series not taken place and had everyone not seen behind the scenes and, and maybe seen the job he did and the way he operates and how we go about this stuff, like I think, because I, I do think he comes across in, in the main really, really well within that. Do you think that amplifies it? Do you think there's a danger with those types of things that that then suddenly everyone feels that they know this, so it, it just makes it a way bigger story than it would have been had that not taken place? Or, or do you, from your perspective over there, is that just not a factor? It's, you know, it's Australia's number one or number two sport. It's just going to be a huge story irrelevant of of what insight people have had. Yeah, JL's probably coming from a great position because he's the most liked sort of guy and probably one of the best test cricketers to ever play the game and arguably one of the most successful coaches to then ever coach Australia winning 4-0 and T20 World Cup. And like I said at the start, I'm probably in a bit of a bubble. You know, I know people that have mutual friends and I've heard some great stories about the guy and spoke to someone fairly close to him in a, a work capacity in, in recent months. And, you know, I think JL probably knew that he was always adapting, like every coach is always adapting. So I don't think it's anything new. Um, I think the test is probably really great for for cricket because it showed there was actually some real people behind behind what they see as a cricketer. Um, but in Australia, there's obviously a generation of, of past legends, you know, so your Mitch Johnsons, your, you know, those big sort of characters, Gilcrest, those guys that have been there, done it and got the T-shirt and the urn as well. So those guys are always going to have an impact because they're in the press. So people are always going to have a perceived impression about what impact this has had. You know, so they put out the recent um, T20 side to go and play against Sri Lanka and everyone's like, well, I couldn't care less. You know, it's just, you know, what, what they've done in recent weeks says everything 
that you know I'm just not in, not interested one bit to go and watch it because I feel like they've the Australians have probably been you know stabbed in the heart in a way or stabbed in the back sorry of you know one of their own has really been screwed over. I think that's a real fascinating point, and I, I'm just thinking to kind of Kath Bishop's work on the long win, and I. I the, the the flip side of this is I love the fact the players have come out and said and they feel comfortable enough to have come out and said as long as it's not been kind of manipulated within the group to take people with them that aren't with them that actually maybe there is this isn't good for us like this isn't an appropriate environment and that what what has happened traditionally and historically like who's to say that is right because yeah Australia were, were wonderful for a very long time but Again, there's issues with burnout, there's issues with mental health, there's family issues that come from that. Like, not, not many of these guys are, are on their first marriage still. Do you know what I mean? So you kind of look at the cost of, yeah, they were they were fantastic team, maybe the best ever test team to play the game, just because it did or didn't work for them and that was their experience doesn't mean that society is the same now and that the same rules or or ethics or whatever should apply maybe actually this is this is the tide turning to go there is a there is another way like we can still be number one testing we can still i hope not win the ashes 4-0 but you know in any country a team can be successful but maybe we don't need to destroy people along the way and i'm not suggesting langer has but there is a a pretty high attrition rate and and some people will argue perfectly that 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 is the nature of the beast i think there is an ever-growing chorus of people saying and and it's probably not just fans i think this is these are people cats are olympic medalists do you know what i mean like there's a lot of people in that corner now saying what we went through isn't right there are other ways this shouldn't the cost of a medal or a world cup or a little earn shouldn't be to the detriment of the people that take part in it i think people saying the complete opposite haven't you yeah i think i think it's it's always been a little bit of a meat grinder professional sport anyway. I mean, especially in rugby where you, you're getting people in sort of sacrificing their bodies on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And then once they're done, they're sort of discarded out to the pile. And it's only a very few that, that sort of stick in, can have a career in sport afterwards, either in coaching or presenting or sort of vice versa. I think, like again, it's sort of having a look at that holistic approach because it's difficult. Like it's much easier to go through that meat grinder role, keep getting young talent in because there is a lot of young talent and unfortunately there's a lot more players than positions. It's it's the easy route. I think there's not a lot of people taking the hard route of going, okay, how can we build relationships? How can we work together? How can I get the best out of these people? along the route and this is where you start finding this holistic approach where actually you've got to care about people you've got to have relationships with people you can't just beast them for for months and months and months and then just get rid of them afterwards it's it's not a it's not a viable model for success or long-term success yeah i guess we'll never really know but yeah it's an interesting one in a way and yeah it's definitely got a lot of press and and traction over here and it you know, makes you think do you have to be liked as a coach or you know what is that relationship like as well you know I've definitely had coaches I didn't really like but probably got the best out of me you know they never bullied me or they were never too intense but I just didn't really like them you know but they got their best out of me and yeah it's an interesting relationship and conversation <laughs> 
It also makes me think of the, the, I guess, not equivalent, but a similar type of thing, actually, maybe the opposite end of the scale, even, about Anderson and Broad have just been dropped from the England-West Indies squad. And, and there's a there's a whole debate around, are they the scapegoats for a pretty poor Ash performance? And it's it's probably not fair that they are. But then I also look at it and go, actually, and, and there's maybe too much made of age in sport. Like Anderson is is still, well, both of them are still clearly good enough. And if if anything, they're getting better. And you go, well, how is that? How how have they done that? How have they been managed to a point where they they are still getting better and and I think it's a huge testament to both of their professionalisms but I also do think maybe that is a change in the systems that they were pulled out of of you know um the the 50 overs and t20 quite quite early it was like you're just going to be test specialists we will you know we will rest you we won't flog you in every game maybe now you're just home bowlers because whether it's mismanagement or whether it's your ability abroad, like that's probably a whole separate discussion. But actually, why not just use the two best swing bowlers England have got when we're at home to to win win tests at home? And that that does make me think that perhaps those elements, maybe there are people in those organisations that are thinking long term, longer term, and, and about athlete welfare and the benefit. But is where where then does the coach land on that? Have you got to find a coach that supports that, or can you have a coach that stretches, stretches the organisation one way, but then other people are picking up that role to ensure the dynamic is, is still being managed and met, so we're not burning people out. Do you know what I mean? Because you can't. Otherwise, you're just going to stagnate, aren't you? If you all just sat there and went like, "This is fine," who is leading the charge, but who's also bringing up the rear to go? This is how we ensure everything just keeps moving forward. I, and again, maybe there's not a question in there, but it's it, it's just an interesting parallel or opposite and I can't can't quite decide which it is I think like I think coaching is is the ultimate middle manager where we're focusing on the present getting that performance or that success in whatever level you're at but also then looking at transitions behind how we're like again sort of it's a bit of a cliche but sort of when they talk about legacy and the all blacks like that's exactly what we're talking about is lasting success um and like deep success rather than just sort of surface level. I think that's well, that's what is difficult around coaching because you have to ha- have to wear so many hats. Um, like even in my very, very small career, like would be would have to have a bit of an understanding around S and C psychology, technical, tactical of the sport, building relationships, like down to being a groundsman and marking pitches and like you've got to be aware of so much, but then I think covering your your lack of knowledge by bringing people in or seeking that knowledge as well, um, and I don't I don't think a lot of coaches would be genuinely seeking seeking coverage for sort of that lack of knowledge or sort of going out and really trying to find out. And I, I love when I see it. Exactly, like coaching's hard, right? Like you never know if you say something or you do something, it could work for one group. It even works for one individual. Then suddenly the next group, next week, you say the same thing and someone takes it the wrong way or says you're too intense, whatever. So this is, you know, it's so hard. You know, I don't, it probably is the hardest job in the world because everything you say is being scrutinized and you could say it to one group and then you could think, all right, I'm going to try something again. I'm going to try something new. And then you just get constant pushback or the comments or whatever it might be. It's one big experiment, isn't it? 
how have the players been perceived over there, Jack? Like, what's what's now the the? I appreciate I'm asking you to speak on half of the whole Australian public, but you know what what's now the perception of them as a group? Is that a you know they're now an entitled group and that's damaged their relationship with the fans? Is it that they're too powerful? Is it that they're running the show and? you know, some of them need to be ousted and never to play in the shirt again, because is that, that that's a really interesting follow-up. Whoever the next coach in, how do you then, because they've gone from a cheating culture, which is, is pretty horrendous now to maybe being perceived as entitled or empowered and, and too far the other way. So it, it almost is just a bigger issue in another way for whoever steps in. It's quite a nice position to be in, in some ways that you're taking over a successful team, but not if they're viewed as being, selfish or however they're being viewed i don't think any player would say to steve smith um any person in the public would say to steve smith you know we want you gone because he is probably one of the best in the world so i don't think they want any player gone um but i think they're pretty pretty disappointed in a way of you know i think pat cummins came out in the press with me i think a couple of days before jl said he was gonna he resigned and uh, pat cummins said you know, it's not my decision. Um, you know, it's Cricket Australia, which, okay, technically it is. Um, but you would often see a lot of people come out and support the coach after what has been a very successful period. So I think that's those sorts of comments um, probably really stuck with people, that there wasn't much support coming out. Um, and then when he did resign, there were some really nice comments that did come out. So I don't think anyone wants players gone, but I think there probably is a privileged um, perception of the group about where they come from and that there is a bit of player power that now whatever the players say, well, they're right. You know, whatever whatever they say is, is correct and the coach is always going to be on a bit of a, a back foot from that point of view. Oh, you go on, go on. I think it's difficult though, right? So generally in a coaching staff, you're going to be outnumbered. So even, even from that point of view, and it's especially difficult in where it's such a public arena where potentially the lack of context and stuff gets distorted. I think this is why it's so important to have those uh, communication channels open and making sure that we're having frank and honest discussions. And uh, we talked about feedback and how that's being used. Like to me, that would be where I'd be wanting that feedback, even though not necessarily in a sheet, but just conversation. Like if you can have a conversation with a coach and go, oh, mate, this is a bit too intense for, for us at the minute, the coach can go, okay, maybe I'm overcooking that and we can reevaluate. But it's just gaining information. Um, once you haven't got that information or you haven't got that awareness, you're going to get yourself unstuck. And now everything's being aired in the press and people are coming out and everyone's judging about what they say or didn't say about it. And like, it's to me, it's just it's easily avoided by just like trying to build some connection and building a relationship. We hear it a lot, you know, coaches lost the dressing room. Do you, do you think you can ever, if you've got to that stage, is it ever possible to rescue it? Because what I can't think of many examples where that does happen. And, and I don't follow football closely enough to, to really know that. I would imagine there's, there are some, but it does just seem to be, uh, certainly at a professional level, and, and even actually more, you know, further down the, the community kind of scale, once you've lost it, that's it. So what, what are your guys' thoughts? Can can you kind of row that back or not? I think Danny Carey's a good example. I think um, the GB hockey coach or previous hockey coach, I think post 
2004 Olympics. Uh, I think the girls came out and said, uh, Danny's pretty grumpy. Um, he's this, this, this. In a player review post-Olympics. And I think Danny looked at it and thought, oh, okay, maybe I need to have a bit of a change here and do something. And, you know, I don't know what those conversations were, but something obviously changed because they went on and won an Olympic gold medal and a bronze medal as well. So, you know, that's a prime example of not maybe losing the dressing room completely, but harsh comments coming out about an individual that is sitting at the top of the tree. And then, you know, years years to come, definitely change the culture. Yeah, like, I think I think it is possible. Like, it, just like it's possible to rescue any relationship, it's, but it just, it rests on the fact that are both parties willing to be really vulnerable and have open and honest conversations? Um and I think a lot in like high performance sport where ego plays a massive thing and perception and vision, I think that's probably what gets in the way. Like, I don't know what the optics would be on like Alex Ferguson coming into the change room going, sorry guys, I've definitely got it wrong. Um, and we need we need to work together to find a solution because I don't know the way. Like I I don't I can't see many like managers or coaches coming in and being able to be that open and vulnerable, but I think that's probably the only way that you'd you'd get there is is by really sort of opening yourself and say, yeah, I've got it wrong. Let's work work together to find a solution. And it, and it almost it's not about blame, but I, I'm just my brain is thinking actually how how much are we expecting the other group to change and be willing to change, right? Because as a coach, you're kind of going, well, my job is to change you guys like that that is literally the role create some behavioral change achieve some objectives everyone's pulling in the right direction blah 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 let's make you better do coaches struggle with it being the other way around do coaches struggle with the playing group are turning around and comes back to our feedback conversation earlier maybe that's why people don't want to do it because the coach isn't willing to change they feel like they've been appointed to a position because of who they are and what they how they do what they do so actually, if if neither group are then willing to change, it's that kind of seems to be the recipe for disaster. But can you have both groups, the coach or coaches and the players, all all changing all the time? Does that actually give any stability at all? Like, is is this where it becomes a, again a little bit of a paradox and a little bit of a an impossible task, or is is that just actually the skill of us as coaches being aware of the science and the psychology and the dynamics and all of this type of stuff, because let's be honest, like a lot of the time players probably just don't care. Like they, they don't really care what methodology you use or what your philosophy is. Like as long as it resonates and as long as it seeming to work, maybe they're on board and, and maybe that's, that's doing that a disservice. I don't know, but I've, I've never had too many conversations with players or heard of too many conversations around specifically the science of coaching like they know what they like and they know what they don't like and they know what they've experienced and they don't know what they haven't experienced so it, it, where where that where does that land yeah i think it's really difficult like so for me personally i i, I would now be favoring a lot of like principle based coaching where it's not it's not necessarily like big technical and tactical this is how you're going to play the game but can we talk about some principles that we definitely agree that we need to have? So for example, a team that I've just come into when we're looking at the line out, we'd be looking at speed movement and deception. Now I've given them some calls to do that, but their decision-making around that would be based on those three. And that would be an open conversation. So as a coach, you're never going to be 
on the pitch making those decisions. So they have to take ownership and you have to sort of almost give that away and let them make the decision and make it theirs. But it's how we can shape that and give it a little bit of, I, I want to use structure, but almost give it a little bit of form for them to then sort of take it on and run with it. Um, mate, it's such an interesting question. I think like for me as a coach, I want to be open in every environment. Like we talk about sort of being open and, getting value from every interaction and I think players no matter what their level or their experience will always be able to give you give you that experience like some of the best conversations I've had with like seven-year-old kids that just know how to make games better like that's not about sort of like coaching methodology that's just like they know they know what fun feels like and I think yes my identity as a coach being sort of I would like to think coach center, player centered and and trying to make trying to support players rather than sort of me imposing myself on them. Um, but yeah, like I think the identity doesn't change as long as you're flexible enough to actually go how we're delivering that will need to change depending on group to group. I um, like a lot of this stuff. I always think of it like wordplay bingo. Like I went and, and hung out with a coach and um, a football coach, a soccer coach, uh, whatever you want to call it over here. And he said, yeah, Jack, we're trying to build this culture of like player ownership and all this sort of stuff. I thought, oh, okay, cool. I'm excited to see it. First 10 minutes I watched it. And I went over to him and said, oh, so what did you say the culture was? He goes, oh, yeah, looking for players to have ownership and be in control. I said, oh, he collected the bibs and, and put all the cones away. He goes, uh, yeah, I did. I said, well you've just gone against what your culture is, you know? So I, maybe social media probably doesn't help and all these people writing coaching books, but, um, you know, I often think a lot of it's just wordplay bingo, like just coach, just coach the people in front of you and ask some questions and make them involved in the process. But as you said um, earlier, Phil, just putting labels on the stuff, like, <laughs> I don't know, I can't keep up. I'm dyslexic, so I'm rubbish with words. But um, I can't keep up with some of all this lingo and bingo all this stuff's coming out but just coach the people in front of you and you know ask for help when you need it i, I love that I'm, I'm conscious still of both your time so i think that might be the uh, the perfect place to just kind of uh, to finish this off so um just before we do uh what content are you guys recommending where where would you just suggest um people go and, and look for some stuff and, and obviously a really good chance for both of you to to just shout out where people can find you as an individual or what you are doing as well so far away uh, i'm going to be totally biased and say uh, head to the coachinglab.org uh, i don't want to promote a podcast another good podcast but we have got a podcast about coaching um available on all popular platforms and we've created some challenge cards multi-sport to help coaches coach for games ask great questions um and hopefully put the athlete at the center to create environments that look and feel like the game so yeah just head to the coachinglab.org and across social media as well Mate, top. That was polished. That was that was. We've done that before. <laughs> uh, Clucky, gone. Mate, mine's going to be a lot, lot less than that. So, um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Like, engage on me on any platform you want. I'm more normally pretty happy to answer some questions and have some discussions. I, I'd probably recommend Making Ma Mavericks by Frosty Heston. I, I'm I'm just about to start reading it. Did a bit of research on it, and that's about the actual true story behind chasing Mavericks 
from uh, Frosty's point of view. So he's written that and I'm, I'm excited to listen. Um, and I guess just to have a bit of learning, like go out in your environment, find people that are doing what you're doing on a Saturday, on a Sunday, your opposite coach, just make sure you're having some really good conversations like we've had today. And I think, I think if more people did that, it's going to be a better place in the coaching world. Love it. No, great one. Top man. Um, fellas, I've really enjoyed this. Really, really interesting. Um, I think just some, yeah, some real, real deep questions to, to take away and think about, which is always good. So thank you very much. Uh, I'll round up the roundup. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to a fascinating discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well.